From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Milady is in the house. If you've got a question, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, type a question into the chat window and Jeff may forward it to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Milady. How are you? Just peachy coming to you from St. Cecilia's Mother House in Nashville, Tennessee. The ever sojourning rolling stone that gathers no moss, Father Brian Milady, on the road again. So, Father, he is risen. Alleluia. Truly is risen. Alleluia. And you're going to talk all about that today. Yes. Well... The resurrection is one of the, is the central mystery of our faith. Remember, um, St. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. However, it's very interesting that the necessity of rising from the dead is something that would be open to reason's examination alone without faith. And the reason is because Pagan philosophers, like Plato and Aristotle, discovered the immortality of the soul. They did this because the action of the soul is uh, material, spiritual, namely intelligence. So once they discovered that, the question was what to do with the body. Well, Plato, of course, his opinion was that... um, The body was a prison into which we all fell, and matter was an illusion, and as a result, he really didn't think that the human person was a union, a necessary union of a spiritual soul and a material body, and so there was no problem with the resurrection. The trouble is there was a problem with what our bodies are uh, relating to in us. Aristotle, on the other hand, who was a little more observant and wasn't quite so ethereal, maintained that there was obviously a necessary relationship between the soul and the body. 
Because, for example, if we have a headache, we find it difficult to think. There's a complete relationship which is described as the church, by the church's form and matter. The soul is the form of the body. Now, the trouble is, if you maintain that the soul is immortal, and they're in a necessary relationship with each other, what do you do with the body? The body should not die. And yet the fact of death is something we all deal with. As someone who's getting closer to that fact, I always think of what a sister friend of mine said when she was suffering from bone cancer. I have for many years looked forward to going to heaven. It's dying, I don't fancy. <laughs> and so the pagans and reason left us in a kind of box canyon about the problem of the human person. Was man just the spirit or a just the body? And this pointed out the fact that even though we had as our final purpose seeing God, what, again, uh, relationship does the body have to this? The fact of resurrection, the fact that it occurs, is a miracle because there's no power in the body to make it live again and there's no power in the soul to make it live again it depends directly on an action from god and so when our lord rises in the dead i often say that when he was in the praetorium and he was scourged he was shown by Pilate to the crowd and Pilate said in Latin, ecce homo, behold man. This is what we're like because of the original sin. But this isn't the end of the story, nor, nor can death be. There are people today, Europe, Catholic theologians, philosophers, especially in Germany, and we know the Germans, what their problems are regarding our religion. But they basically maintain that death is the final purpose of human life. Also, it's, it's very interesting that people today reflecting on the resurrection, many Catholic theologians say, well, Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead. There's no touching there. Those are all things that were made up by the community after he died to make sense of his death. Well, the catechism is very clear about this. The Catechism says, the resurrection was very hard to believe in. Many people doubted it. It isn't an easy thing, and the, the community was demoralized. Remember in the road to Emmaus, it says they were looking sad. They felt that their whole world had been up, overturned by the crucifixion. So what sense can it make to say they sort of invented this mystery of the resurrection? Instead, our Lord, when he appears in the upper room, despite the locked doors, is also saying, this is man, behold man. This is why you were created. You were created not only to live with God forever in your soul, but in the second coming, of course, you are created to live with God also in your body. And your body will have a different relationship with your soul, but it will be a physical body. Remember Jesus ate a piece of fish to show that it will be your body 
Jesus showed the nail marks to demonstrate that it was really his body, and it will be uh, uh, physical, even though it's in a different relationship to the soul now, because the resurrected body, which is physical, can pass through walls, as Christ did in the upper room. So this beautiful mystery, this deep mystery, is something that I think is very hard to believe in. We're used to it because we've been preaching it for 2,000 years. But the people in our Lord's time, it was very mysterious to them. Remember, they didn't even recognize him on some occasions. And yet he cooks breakfast for them at one point. He does all these things to demonstrate that it's really him. So this is why we're created. We're created for life, the eternal life. And our body is created to rise again. Martha says that. I know my, uh, my brother will rise again. But Lazarus rose and could die again. People in the resurrection and the life can never die again. And strangely, this also adds to the punishment of hell. Because your body arises depending on the condition of your soul. And if your soul is dark and evil, in Corinthians, Paul explains the difference between the two experiences in the body. And on earth, if we suffer greatly, we know death will put an end to that suffering. But once we die, there is no end. And so if in hell, for example, um, freedom and nature disagree, the body will reflect that. And so there'll be intense suffering. Um, which reflects the fact that freedom and nature disagree. On the other hand, with those of us who have faith in the resurrection, when we live a good life, freedom and nature completely disagree, and so we'll experience the final integration. So speak, Mary, declaring to Magdalene what you saw wayfaring. I saw the tomb of Christ who is living and the glory of Jesus' resurrection. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. 
Got a great new item from uh, EWTN's religious catalog with Divine Mercy Sunday on the horizon. A St. Faustina Kowalska gallery-wrapped canvas print. It's 8 by 10 in this lovely lovely gallery-wrapped canvas print of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska. is uh, painted by Richard L. George. St. Faustina gazes gently from the canvas while holding an image of her diary to her heart. This print is fade-resistant and it's hand-stretched over solid wood stretcher bars. And the canvas comes with a sawtooth picture hanger on the back. And it's available now at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. Free standard shipping on online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental U.S. only. Use the code FREE at checkout. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. First up today is Joe, a first-time caller in the great state of Missouri, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Joe, you are on with Father Brian Mulady. Hello, Father. Hi, Joe. I have a question uh, regarding purgatory and indulgences. My understanding of purgatory is that it is a process of refinement that makes one pure enough to be in the presence of God. And I've always thought that that did not have any temporal considerations of time or anything else. It was just where you're at, where you need to be before you can be in in his presence. So I don't understand when I hear people talk about an indulgence for someone in purgatory. I've always likened and I've not been a lifelong Catholic, so I'm trying to figure this out. But I have, in my mind, likened purgatory to a boot camp. It's like, you know, if you go to enroll in the Navy and you say you want to be a SEAL, the recruiter doesn't make you a SEAL. He signs you up, and then you go to this most rigorous boot camp, and only when you complete that discipline and training and etc., do you actually become a SEAL? That's how I see purgatory. But I don't understand what indulgence has to do with that, because each SEAL needs to go through that process for he is able to be a SEAL. I don't understand the connection at all. Well, first of all, you have to realize what you're dealing with here is love. Uh, A person who dies in the state of grace dies in the state of God's love. However, many of us still have, oh, I'd say dross left over from our life of egotism, things we've done to people that haven't been resolved and we can't resolve them because we're dead now. Uh, You know, you can have your purgatory on earth depending on how you relate to your own suffering, the suffering of others, and also how you relate to uh, trying to make up for the things that you've done wrong. But if you don't do it here, then you want to be sure that your love is integral enough and pure enough and intense enough to be truly prepared for the eternal bliss of heaven. So it's a process. 
And unfortunately on earth, we can aid the process by our own positive actions. But once we die, we can't. Our suffering is purely passive there. Now that's where others come in through love, through the union of love in Christ. Because remember, Christ is the center of all this. It's where all the various states meet, where we can invoke the love of Christ by our suffering in someone else's place to help them to resolve for their weakness. Now remember, you're in the state of grace, you're not in the state of sin, but you still have these weaknesses in your soul that you wish you didn't have. So in the experience of purgatory, indulgences are where the church has determined that we can use certain Christian actions like mass or prayers or even um, offerings of um, goodness to others or whatever to help to speed along the process of total integration and conversion of the people who've gone before us. So you have to not look on it as a divine ledger system where Christ is keeping track of stuff by, oh, I don't know, bookkeeping. <laughs> it's not like that. It's a union of love. And in order for our love to be complete, we need to be completely free from those things that we did here on earth that we couldn't make up for. Joe, that was a terrific question. Does that clear it up a little bit for you? It, it, yeah, it does. It changes my perspective of purgatory a bit, quite a bit. Uh, so it's not so much as a further building of the individual as it is a resolution of wrongs left behind. Yes, you, you can't merit after death. So you can't get positive or negative after death. You're stuck where you die. So in purgatory, what we're trying to do is help, in indulgences especially, is to help others to have an easier time of it. God bless you, Joe. We appreciate the phone call. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Robert is in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Robert, you're on with Father Milady. Uh I was interested in your uh, speech at the beginning about the soul, and it made me think of original sin. Uh, I don't understand it, and I'm sure you do. So um, I was wondering, uh, is it because uh, Adam knew God personally, and we don't. What about, a uh, say, a computer that has the ability of a human brain? If it would sin, because it doesn't know God, would it have original sin? I, I didn't quite understand the last part. Because well, uh, the, computer, the computer sinned? Uh, yes, the computer has the abilities of a human, uh, and it yeah, depends. It doesn't have a will. It doesn't have a will. It's a, it's a logical construct where we put all the logic into it, 
and then it makes reasoned judgments based on the logic that we placed in it. But it doesn't have a will, and as a result, it doesn't have any moral meaning at all. So, um, original sin is the fact that, remember, it's not a, an act. Uh, there is an act that causes it. It could be anything. Because the commandments given about the fruit of the tree, again, it's a mythological explanation that um, there's limits to our freedom. Because God is the one that gave us these wonderful gifts. And we have to recognize that by our conduct. So original sin is basically the fact that when we disobeyed and lost the integrity that God himself placed in our souls, that it's a state now, not an act. So every person born into the world is born without grace. That's original sin. God bless you, Robert. Thanks. So, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robert. Oh, well, as I, I was just thinking, um, we don't know what is going to happen with uh, our work on computers. Uh, we could have something that would work like an animal brain. We can't treat an animal as if we have control like a zombie. We have to treat it like an animal. So we might have to treat a computer like an animal. Would the computer have a will then? No, animals do not have will. You have to pass into intellection in order to have a will. The will is where we desire good, but a universal good, not an individual good. Animals are limited to individual goods, this food, this drink, whatever. Uh, no, uh, it does not have a will, and as a result, it, it can't uh, be guilty of virtue or sin or prepare or really uh, prepare itself to see God. So uh, it, it's the question you're asking has to do with the nature of the will. And uh, free will is only given to man. You may remember that in the Genesis, this is clearly taught because man is alone given the ability to participate in realizing its own destiny with the famous commandment about the tree. And when God says it's not good for man to be alone, he means that God is a communion of persons. And those persons have a spiritual life. And even a computer can't have a spiritual life. It can, uh, again, it reasons by logic what we put into it. We are the source. If we never put anything into it, we never had any programming or anything like that. The computer, you turn it on and you just sit there, you know. But the fact that we program it means it has a certain ability to make logical conclusions. But it does not have desire. And as a result, the computer can't be guilty of, well, it can't experience a moral life. 833 
288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. It's a free telephone call. Anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 271 2985. And we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1 205 271 2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Pick up the phone and give us a call at 833-288-3986. Joseph is in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Joseph, welcome to the program. Hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. and uh, My question today is, uh, the application of Easter to the Gregorian calendar and the Julian calendar, uh, considering I did not fast the last Wednesday because Holy Week is over, uh, did I potentially commit a sin considering the uh, Julian calendar is the oldest of the two? What is your perception on that, Father? Did you commit a sin? I didn't get what the sin was. What didn't you do? Oh, yes. uh, well, not not adhering to not adhering to the uh, the fasting, uh, considering that the the body of Christ that adhering to the Julian calendar uh, currently, and Easter is coming up. Uh, so I imagine they're still adhering to that. Potentially, am I uh, sinning? If that makes sense. Are you are you, are you an Eastern Rite Catholic? No, sir. Well, then you're bound to the Latin Rite, uh, which means the Gregorian calendar. And um, if you are you talking about Good Friday? Is that what you're talking about? Um, yes. I don't know what the well, I don't know what the laws of fasting are in the Eastern Church, but uh, I would say that you committed a sin if you failed to abstain from meat on Good Friday. And you can't fudge your bets by going to the Julian calendar <laughs> because you're not an Eastern Rite Catholic. Eastern Rite Catholics are bound to the Eastern Rite. Of course, the calendars are based on a mistake in the uh, Julian calendar that the Gregorian calendar corrected. But the Eastern Rites refused to accept that because the Pope approved it, Pope Gregory. So about, I think about every hundred years, they get a day further apart. So, um, but uh, th 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 if you're an Eastern Rite Catholic, of course, you're bound to the Eastern Rite, canonically. Mm -hmm. God bless you, Joseph. Thanks so much for the question today. That opens up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833 833- 
288-3986. Mark is in St. Louis, Missouri, listening on Covenant Radio. Mark, you're on with Father Brian Malady. Hey, guys. Uh, simple, simple question. In Faustina's diary, she told a nun in the dispensary to baptize this, I believe, a lady that was in a coma and about ready to die. But the family was around, so they couldn't baptize the person when the family was around. They ended up baptizing the person. Is that a valid baptism? Because the person was of Jewish faith and didn't ask for it? I would say no. Because uh, if there's any possibility that they can be uh, contrary against what baptism stands for, um, and if, uh, I think I presume you're talking about someone who's reaching the age of reason, not a baby, um, then you, you, you can't do that against the will of the person or the people responsible for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I would be aware of developing sacramental practice based on some of the things that holy people do because we weren't there. We don't know what all the circumstances were, number one. And number two, uh, it's not a norm for Catholic doctrine or practice. But uh, generally, you can't baptize someone if you know that they won't accept it, even if they're in a coma. But it was a pious practice that some people did because they wanted to save them from original sin. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's obvious why that was the case. We head next to the great state of Idaho. Carly is a first-time caller in Old Town, listening on the EWTN app. Carly, you are on with Father Brian Malady. Hello. Hello. What's your question What's your today, question? Carly? I'm curious, can priests get married? Uh, well, it depends on the... <laughs> That's not an easy question to answer. Well, actually, I think, I think the way it's worded, it is a pretty easy question, because priests cannot get married. Can an, ordained, well, an ordained priest cannot get married if he's not married, can he? Well, uh, which is a different question than are there married priests? I guess. Okay. Then no, the answer is no, (laughs) but there's certainly married priests. Uh, so why would you ask that? Um, there's a book out there called breaking the vow. And I was just curious to hear from a priest on your end. Um, what you guys thought about it, and if the answer is no, why is that? Why is what book? No, why no. why can't a ordained priest get married? Oh, well, now here we are. See, this is the complicated part <laughs> um, because the complete dedication, which is necessary for a priest to say, this is my body uh, in, in the character of the host, which is Christ's body, is so full that it can't really be shared with someone else. And 
one can see this even in the fact that today, many Protestant ministers plead with us not to try to have a married clergy. And the reason is because the family always takes second place. And that's not a good idea. Also, there are Protestant denominations. Lutheranism comes to mind where the wife has, is important to the parish as the husband is. And she and the children are basically expected to act like, well, many priests. And the pressure of doing something like that, which is someone who isn't called, is very great. Also, the normal history of this, as far as popular history is concerned, is that from Christ's time, they were both married priests. Now, you'll notice uh, Jack was very clear about the fact that you couldn't be married, but you couldn't get married as a priest. So you would have had to be married before you became a priest. Um, there were married priests and there were celibate priests. Um, celibacy being recommended. Also, the... Um, married priest had to take a promise together with his spouse that once they got ordained, he got ordained, they could never consummate their, they could never have any children anymore, never consummate their marriage, never have sex. Well, in the second, third council of Trullo, I think it is, which is a local council, which met about 650, the Eastern Rite changed this, and they did this partially because in places like Ukraine, you know, the distances were very, very vast between parishes. There were no seminaries. And so sons inherited the um, profession of their father, and that included the priesthood. The Latin Church decided that this required, but they also made a requirement that to save the idea of the former law, that after the Eucharist was celebrated, the priest and his wife couldn't have sex for a day. Well, priests were consummating their marriage so much that it became very hard to have Eucharist on a daily basis. And that's why you won't find daily Eucharist in churches in the East. Also, um, the uh, normal person who becomes a bishop is a parish priest. But they looked on the bishop. They still held this idea, was the fullness of the priesthood, and therefore bishops couldn't be married, and therefore only monks could be bishops, which was also completely contrary to the church's general discipline. So in the Latin church, they just decided to solve all these problems by mandating celibacy, period. And that's how we got the um, law concerning the fact that priests in the Latin church renounce marriage. Thanks so much, Carrie. We appreciate the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Mark is near Orlando, Florida, watching us on YouTube today. Mark, you are on with Father Brian Malady. 
Hello, how are you? Can you hear me? Good. Hi, Paul. I wanted to ask you, first of all, I'm just curious, uh, how long have you been uh, ordained? How long have I been ordained? Yeah, I'm just curious uh, about been, that first. Uh, other questions, but yeah. Okay, I've been ordained 51 years. Okay, so it would be in 1970-something, I think. 72. Okay, 72. Okay, I wanted to ask a question. Sir, go ahead. Yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask a question about something Benedict XVI said. Um, and he said this in his Principles of Catholic Theology. And I'll just quote it here. I'm sure you might have heard this. Quote, If it is desirable to offer a diagnosis of the text as a whole, we might say that, in conjunction with the text on religious liberty and world religions, it is a revision of the syllabus of Pius IX, a kind of counter-syllabus. Um, and I was just very kind of dumbfounded and shocked by this, because Pius IX's syllabus of errors is a dogmatic uh, document. You have to kind of hold to it. Not kind of, you have to. And uh, Benedict XVI here calls it a counter-syllabus, and that's just very uh, concerning. Uh, what's your view on that? Well, fortunately, I know the answer to this. <laughs> uh, they're both talking about apples and oranges. You have to look at the error that the teaching is against. The error that the syllabus of errors is against is indifferentism, which means concerning the intellect that all religions are equally true. That was thought in the 19th century, and some Catholics even held that. And Pius IX was saying, no, that's not true. The Masons think all religions are equally true. We do not. So this is an error of the intellect. Vatican II was against the idea of forced conversion. They were into the idea of um, affirming the freedom of the act of religion against the totalitarian regimes that were trying to force people either in or out of belief, as we see in a communist country. And so they're talking about the will, not the intellect. And they're recognizing the fact that in order for a conversion to be proper, it has to be an act of free will um, and not something you're coerced to do. So they were very interested in underplaying the idea of coercion in the uh, embracing of the faith itself. So one is talking, uh, what Benedict probably meant there, I read the text recently, but it was that they're counter in the sense that one talks about the intellect and one talks about the will. And so they're talking about two different principles. Uh, next stop for us is the great state of Illinois. Isaiah is another first-time caller listening on Covenant Radio. Isaiah, you're on with Father Brian Milady. Okay, thank you. My question is, was there a purgatory before the resurrection? And then also, if I could, um, where were Moses and Elijah at? Like at the Transfiguration when they came down, where did they come from? And unfortunately, I have to get off the phone and go back into work, so I will listen to your answer on the replay later. But I appreciate it very much. 
Why, when Moses and Elijah and all the saints of the Old Testament were in the limbo of the just, and that's when it says that in our creed, he went and descended into hell for three days. Christ spent three days evangelizing after his uh, uh, death, before his resurrection, the people who believed in him and looked forward to him as he spent three years on earth evangelizing them. And yes, I would say there was a purgatory, but whether, um, well, again, people who are only guilty of venial sin would be in that situation. And they might pass to the liberal, but just then, waiting for the gates of heaven to be opened when Christ dies on the cross. So no purgatory either, prior to the resurrection. Oh no, purgatory. Purgatory, looking forward to the limbo of the just. Gotcha. Very good. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us for Catholic Connection tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Teresa Tamio live from this very chair right here at EWTN in Irondale, Alabama. She'll be joined by our president, Doug Keck, to talk about upcoming EWTN programming. And it's also Fact Check Friday. Kate Daniel, Katie Daniel, rather, from the Susan B. Anthony list, will be talking about the Fifth Circuit and their halt of mail-order abortion pills and how they've restored the original FDA safety standards. All of that tomorrow on Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Sandra as we head back to the great state of Idaho. She is a first-time caller listening on Salt and Light Radio. Sandra, you're on with Father Milady. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You're, so, you're very welcome. Uh, during this Easter season... Uh, well, my question is, can an abortion, can you make an atonement for having an abortion? Actually, yes, of course you can. You can make an atonement for every sin. Uh, I often tell women in confession because women feel the need to confess this over and over again, even though they know it's been forgiven. And I say, well, remember now that sin's forgiven, but your suffering with this for your life is your purgatory. And also you can offer this suffering for the child that you aborted. No one knows what exactly happens sometimes between God and the people in the next life. But yeah, I know you, you could atone for any sin while you're on earth, of course. Uh, look at Peter. Peter denied Jesus, and he did atonement for his sin. Remember, part of his atonement was uh, being crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way the Lord was. Uh, Karen would like to know, is Botox or plastic surgery appropriate for Catholics to undergo? Is it sinful? I don't know. <laughs> Come on, Father, you've had some work done, huh? No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm sorry, I do not know the answer to that question. We will save uh, that for another host on another day. We'll head, next to, we'll head next to the great state of West Virginia. Mark is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mark, you are on with Father Brian Milady. Great. Um, so 
we just rolled by April 1st a couple of weeks ago. And uh, my understanding is that April 1st was the beginning of the year before the Gregorian calendar. And that was done maybe in about the 1600s. So the calendar was corrected, and there was a different amount of days for a calendar year. That means it was incorrect for 1,600 years. So in my theory is that even if it was off by one day, it's really not 2023 right now. It's three to six years forward or back, depending on how you do the math. What do you think of that, Father? Uh, well, I, I, there are a lot of things you asked there. Um, I don't. I never heard that April first was New Year's Day on the Julian calendar. Certainly, in the Middle Ages, they looked on New Year's Day as New Year's Day. They may have had the wrong day. But they, you know, uh, by by about fifteen days or something, but it was always at the beginning of the year. Um, secondly, um, the first of the year was often uh, considered to be theologically the month of Nisan, which is the same time as the Passover, which the Jews looked on, on, um, um, it would have been March 25th, our feast of the Annunciation as the creation of the world. And so if you were calculating from the creation of the world, that's why Passover occurs then, that's why uh, the Annunciation occurs then, because remember, that's the real feast of the Incarnation. Um, I, let's see, I can't remember the rest of the question, there was so much to it. Uh, yeah, it's true. There are mistakes in the calendar, but those are physical problems. They have nothing to do with religion whatsoever. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Back to the Republic of Texas. Marianne is in San Antonio listening on Guadalupe Radio. Marianne, you're on with Father Brian Mullady. Awesome. Hello, Father Brian Mullady. Hi. This is Mary. Um, I just wanted to say how wonderful I think you are and everyone at EWTN. The programs are fantastic. I was born and raised Catholic, and I don't have any questions I, I just don't question the Catholic Church because I, I see the beauty and the genius, and I'm so in love with the Holy Trinity and, you know, the, everything about it. It's just marvelous, and I'm just blessed by God going through many trials and having many miracles. I'm just blessed by God that my parents were uh, wise enough to become Catholics and raise me as one. So I think you're phenomenal. I love everybody that works there and every every single solitary program that comes on. So thank you for being there for us, these people that don't have questions, but just want to, you know, let you know how much we love you and are grateful. Blessed are you. Thank you. God bless you, Marianne. We certainly appreciate the phone call today. I didn't know your mom lived in San Antonio, Father. He didn't. She didn't. <laughs> I was just thinking that no one could could be that uh, could be that fond of you other than your mother is what I was uh that's what I was getting at there. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Uh, Kenneth writes in, Do all souls in purgatory end up going to heaven? At death, is the person's condition just before death 
the deciding factor in their salvation, or is there time to choose after you die? The answer to both questions is yes. There is no time between the moment of death and uh, physical death and clinical death. Although there is a process, obviously, of dying, because as you know, you can anoint a soul up until three hours canonically after clinical death is pronounced. But yeah, worry, you're judged, remember, there's two judgments. There's the personal one, which Jesus does at your death. And then there's the universal one where that's proclaimed to the whole assembled creation. And yes, everybody who goes to purgatory goes to heaven. I said, you don't die in the state of sin, you die in the state of grace. All you're doing is burning off the dross that's encrusted your character while you're on earth, but there's no mortal sin there. So, yes. And then we have this from Linda. She says, can you help me understand why Mary is called full of grace and the, and the Immaculate Conception? Well, Mary's called full of grace because, first of all, original sin didn't touch her. And that's very much related also to the Immaculate Conception. Remember, uh, many Catholics confuse the virgin birth with the Immaculate Conception. The virgin birth is Christ's birth in Mary. The Immaculate Conception is Mary's conception in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. And so, uh, she never experienced, by God's miracle, original sin, because she was to be the mother of the Redeemer. Now, the theological problem in proclaiming this was the fact that she has to be among the redeemed. She's a member of the church. She's not separate from the church. So when Pius IX defined the assumption, he defined the fact that God, by miracle, looking forward to her participation in the cross, kept the original sin from touching. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. We hope you enjoy the rest of your octave of Easter and your entire Easter season. Until we get together tomorrow, God bless.